please join me in prayer. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Prayer answered. There we go. Yay. It's kind of a neat Sunday this Sunday. Sunday we get to celebrate a lot of really good things that God is doing in our church. To baptize little Trenton, we get to install our officers, get to acknowledge those who have served and served with distinction for a long time. Get the idea that you're part of something at a church like this that cannot be purchased. You cannot buy community. You cannot buy love. You cannot buy a clean conscience. You can't buy community. It just doesn't happen. But over a long period of time, God puts people together, blesses them. And uh, what, what flows out of that blessing is what we, we experience today. So I think about July 4th, I think about July 3rd, and what we do in Orange with the, uh, the, the thing at El Medina and the fireworks and all of those things. I, I think about the, the fireworks that are going to go off down the hill from my house that are illegal and where we live. It's, you know, you just you think about all that stuff that goes with it. I, I looked at my wife earlier this week, I said, what, what should we throw in the smoker? And, uh, you know, there's just stuff that goes with, with 4th of July. And we live in America, obviously, and we're proud of that. It, it's a super good place. It, it, I think of my uncles and my father who were veterans. I, I, I think of being able to just cash out some money at the ATM machine and go for a week to Paso Robles and freedom and safety and all of those things. And then I think of people who disagree with me politically and how to avoid them. And... Uh, <laughs> And I think about that, right? There, there, there's that person you're going to say, America's great, and I love living here, and they're going to look at you like, right, you are, you know, welcome to the barbecue, now I'm going to, you know, make it miserable for you. And, and, and how do we deal with that, right? How, how do you figure that out? And we live in somewhat of a politically charged, politically polarized time. That's just the way it is. I wonder when history books are written to talk about what we're living through now, if they're going to say the time of political polarization. If we were to put on the survey that almost 1,100 of you did for the church, and I said, are you a, a red-blooded Republican or are you a blue-blooded Democrat, people would have freaked out. We would have never put that on there, ever put that on there. Because when you ask politically charged questions, you get politically charged answers. That's just the way it is in the time in which we live. So we are drawn this morning to Matthew chapter 22, and that's for you in your worship folder, the Jesus being called into a trick conversation. It's kind of like someone coming up to you the 4th of July and say, are you for limited government or are you for big government? And you'd say, well, I'm kind of for little government in some ways. And big, no, no, are you for little government or big government? So the Herodians and the Pharisees were trying to trap Jesus in this conversation. They said, is it right to pay taxes? Should we pay our taxes. And Jesus teaches this. This is verse 17. Tell us, what is your opinion? Is it right to pay the imperial tax to Caesar or not? But Jesus, knowing their evil intent, said, you hypocrites, why are you trying to trap me? Show me the coin used for paying the tax. 
they brought him a denarius. And he asked them, whose image is this and whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied. Then Jesus said to them, so give back to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. Now, the Caesar piece was a big piece. And, and, and in, in a very will, very real regard, Jesus was damned to death if he did and damned to death if he didn't. More than likely, the inscription on that coin was Caesar is Lord because that's what was thought of, that Caesar was divine, that he had all the power of the state behind him, that Caesar was not just a man, but he had godly divine pieces to him as well. The power, the authority, the glory, the ability to move people, to take on nations, to, to fight, to conquer, to do whatever, it all belonged to him. The people, the dirt, the ground, the money, the economy, everything belonged to Caesar. And so it was his likeness on the coin. Now, if one of our people said, if, if, if President Trump said, I am God, we would go nuts. We would say, no, you're not. It would ensure that he would not be reelected. We'd say, you're crazy. You've lost it. And in America, we don't, we don't do that. We, we haven't done that. It's not a part of who we are. But in Rome at that time, when Jesus was asked this question, he was asked concerning the divinity of the leadership of Rome. Now, it's amazing to me that Jesus himself didn't have a coin. He did not say, here, I got a coin, and here's whose likeness is on this. Rather, Jesus said, give me a coin, which is an old preacher's trick, right? Pat, you got that $20 bill for me? I'm going, yeah, right? <laughs> Jesus didn't have a coin, and I wonder why that is. But someone else had one. And it was a coin that reminded them of the religion of the state. That Caesar is divine and Caesar is God. And while we don't live with that here in our space and in our time, we struggle with a little bit of that as they did. Now, there are three responses to that. Three responses in Jesus' time. What kind of a person could you be? Well, you could be a rabid person. You could be a zealot. You could stand up and say, you know what? This is wrong. Caesar is not God, and here's the deal. And we're going to pick up a sword and a shield, and we're going to get after it, and we're going to fight, and we're going to make that happen. We're going to overthrow this whole Caesar is God thing, and we're going to get rid of the state the way it is, and doggone it, if you're not with us, you're, you're against us, we're going to get you too. Now, there was at least one zealot in the crowd who was a disciple of Jesus named Simon the Zealot. These people were completely sold out, completely engaged, ready to go to war at the drop of a hat. And then you had the other side of the spectrum, the disengaged people. You can vote if you want. We don't really care. The Essenes were the monastics who went out to the hills. And they lived in caves and built little monastery-type places. And they translated or, or didn't translate, but they maintained... The, the word of the Lord, especially from the Old Testament. But they were disengaged. They didn't care about the Romans. They didn't care about the state. They retreated into quiet areas. They, they said, forget it, we're done. Jesus, you're too polarizing. The, the one side would say, Jesus, you're not strong enough. This guy said, Jesus, you're too strong. And then there were those in the middle. Those who said, well, you know, Jesus has some upside for us. But if we go against the state, we'll get in trouble. 
And while collaboration is a good word among us, collaborator tends to be kind of a negative word for us. The, the, the response of the Sadducees and the ruling people who were there trying to engage Jesus was, Jesus, what can you do for me? And state, what can you do for me? And if I play both sides of the coin, how will that look and how will that work? And so Jesus says, render unto Caesar what is Caesar and to God what is God's. If he says, don't pay your taxes, he's in trouble. If he says, pay your taxes, he's in trouble. So is a great trap. But Jesus makes this incredible assertion. Some things are not Caesar's. There's some places the state can't be and the state can't go. There's just some things that belong to God. There's some ways and some places and some things and some things that knit human people together that are not of the state but are of God. Like the community of a church is a function of God's spirit working in that church, not a function of state dues paid to clergy to make sure you have a nice entertaining service on Sunday. So how do you respond? I don't know how many of you watch the debates on Wednesday and Thursday night. I miss Thursday and watch Wednesday, and it's fascinating. On my watch, I'm able to check my heart rate, and I watch my heart rate kind of go up as I listen to those people talk. And I think, here we go again. We're in an election cycle. What's it going to be, and how's it going to go? How many emails will I get as pastor when I preach a sermon? How many cards from the things will people get and say, oh, there you are with your politics? Are you a zealot politically? Think of July 4th, you're a zealot. You say, you're darn right, I can't wait to vote, and I'm going to vote for this guy, and you should too, and if you don't, then you're not a Christian, you don't love Jesus. I'm going to pin you down, I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to meet you at that July 4th celebration, I'm going to pin you down, and I'm going to pulverize you. There are zealots in our country. There are zealots who blew up the building in Oklahoma City. There are people who are zealous for their candidate, for their ideology, for their politics. Are you a person of great zeal? And the first thing you like to talk about is politics and why your opinion is right and the other opinion is wrong. That's how some respond. This is a picture of an abandoned farmhouse in North Dakota. I was thinking about buying it and moving there. <laughs> because then you could disengage from politics, kind of. I threaten my family, I say, I'm gonna buy this house, and I say South Dakota, way the western side of South Dakota where the wind blows and the grain grows and it's really cold, but no internet line, no phone, no nothing. We're just gonna live there and live off the land and it's gonna be great. We will disengage completely from politics and stuff. We won't have people argue with us. We'll just sit out there, play our banjos and hum hymns and do something. But are you a person who retreats during this season? Maybe you're a collaborator. I would offer that eight years ago, there was a lot more collaborators in the community of the church than there are today. One of the erosions of people being engaged in church over the last 8 to 12 years is that people aren't finding it economically viable for their businesses or their services or whatever to be a part of a church. 
And so while the church as a whole has suffered in North America with declining numbers, the ardor and fervor of those who follow Jesus is greater than more than two generations ago. And so the collaborators who kind of came into church and said, hey, it's great, I gotta please my mom, or hey, it's great to be in church, it's good for business, I've got a psychological problem that I can transfer under the system of the church, it'll be great. A lot of that has gone away over the last eight to 10 years. And the people who are in the pews of churches are people who want to be in the pews of churches and who love the Lord Jesus and his church like y'all. How do you respond? I love that Jesus doesn't take the bait and get into the fight here because there are some things that are not Caesar's to possess or to tax. In a few moments, like we do, typically we're going to stand up and confess our faith. We do not recite a creed. We do not speak together. We confess the Christian faith when we, when we, when we confess the Apostles' Creed. We stand up and we say, Credo, I believe. We're saying, this is who I am. This is where I stand. We're saying, this defines me. This is who I am. This is what I'm all about. And there's a beauty to that and a piece of that, that, that that no leader can take away and that no government can tax or instill in us because some things are not Caesar's. And when Jesus established that this day, those people's eyes rolled to the back of their head. The last thing they were expecting, the last piece they thought they were going to get was something that would perplex them and put the strength of the argument onto Jesus and away from them. Render unto Caesar what is Caesar and to God what is God's. There's stuff that Caesar doesn't own. Like yourself. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. Caesar can't claim that. You are created uniquely in the image of God. In your respirations and in your lungs is the breath of life is the marvelous gift of God's Spirit that makes you who you are, makes you a child of God. The government can do thus and such and thus and such, but it can't make you who you are. You have been created in the image of God. I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. All of the stuff that we have is from God. And that worldview and that way of thinking kind of eases us up and puts into proper perspective what Caesar has and what Caesar does. Because no matter who is on the seat in the Oval Office and in governmental offices throughout the world, God the Father Almighty sits on the throne of eternity. And that puts into place and into order what is Caesar's. And what is God's? And what of your soul? We don't think about the soul so much in 21st century America. We talk about it here a lot. But we need to talk about it even more because your soul is not for sale. Your soul has been purchased with the blood of Jesus. You belong to God through faith in Jesus Christ. Some things are not Caesar's. Your soul is not Caesar's. Your soul belongs to Jesus. Trenton's little soul belongs to Jesus. He belongs to God through faith in Jesus Christ. He's been linked to God in his baptism. And that can't be taxed or touched by anybody. 
And so it gives a platform for living a life that makes a difference. That's one of the best pictures of our church. I love that picture of our church. Caesar can't bring people together around faith. Caesar can compel people to gather together, can punish people for gathering, can incentivize people to gather together. But the church is not the state's. The church belongs to the Lord and is called to be a voice in our nation and a voice in our country. You saw it here first. I always struggle when we start seeing these on the TV. I always struggle in the political season because there's things that I struggle with on each side of the aisle. But I don't struggle with being a Christian necessarily, at least in my heart. Sometimes in my actions, in my mouth, I struggle, but not in my heart. Because I believe that the people of God are called to three responses. Not to zealously overthrow the government, not to disengage, and not to collaborate. But the people of God are called to love other people. First and foremost, the church, the body of Christ, the people of Jesus Christ are called to love. And where we love, we have such an influence that it could bring down an entire empire. Ask Caesar 300 years later how that worked out for him. How a little baby born in Bethlehem overthrew through influence and love the greatest civilization and government in the history of the world. Because Christians loved people because Christians valued marriage and family and children and life. The call of God is to zealously love people and to preach the gospel into all the world. That's what makes us unique. There is no coercive power of the gospel. The gospel is that marvelous gift that breathes life into us, that, that reminds us that Christ died for us and that we are forgiven in Jesus and that we belong first and foremost to God, and that God loves people for Jesus' sake. And so we preach the gospel over and over and over and over and over again. One of my trustees, he said, I'm sorry, I'm going to leave. Don't tell him I said this. He's probably not streaming the service. He said, I'm leaving, and I'm going over to the auditorium for church. And I said, okay, that's great, because I'm going to miss your sermon, but it's the same every week, right? I said, Mike, Carefully crafted, now audio-visual dominating sermons are... I said, no, I got a four-part sermon this week, not a three-part sermon. But you better believe in every message. I'm going to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ because that's what marks and defines us as the people of God. And we are relentless in bringing the gospel into our families, our neighborhood, our community, and our world. And the people of God serve. Pastor Mark was able this week to be in Mexico with a group of about nine people from St. John's. And it looks like about 25 to 28 from, from Wisconsin. And they built a little house. Now, this is not in the 92869 or 92867 or 92866 area code. We could never get the city of Orange to sign off on the requisitions and the permits for this house. But people worked hard at it. And they painted, and they built, and they framed, 
And in the hot sun and in the windy days of Juarez, Mexico, they built a beautiful house. Now you look and you say, Pastor, and, and I had a buddy say this to me, he said, if, if you think building houses makes a difference for all the people in Mexico, then you're crazy because there's always going to be homeless people in Mexico. To which I say to my friend, here's one more family in a house with windows that seal and doors that lock, with fans that bring cool air in, and with a family who, Pastor said, slept on the slab the day before the framing was done because they were so excited to have a house. So we love and we preach and we serve. How long, how far, how expensive? I don't know. We'll let God figure that out. But with all our heart and all our soul and all our strength, we love and preach and serve. Rendering to God the things that are God's. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, it's good to be together today. There's more in Christ that we have spiritually that brings us together than politically would ever separate us or drive us apart. Pray for our country, Lord, for an opportunity to be united as brothers and sisters of the United States of America. We pray for our leaders in the executive branch, in the judicial branch, in the legislative branch. We thank you for their ministry of sacrifice, and we pray you would grant them a sense of fulfillment and satisfaction. Give them honor and integrity and grace in all that they do. Bless us as citizens of this great country. Engage us in places that are meaningful. Bless us with joy to do those things that we're called to do. Lord, pay our taxes. Honor our leaders. Vote, speak, engage, support. All of those things let us do with a clear conscience, understanding that there is no authority that's given that is supersedes yours. And as your people, as individual Christians, gathered together in the body of Christ, grant us your love and your grace for one another. For those who, who, who we are called to love, for those who we're called to speak grace to, and those who are we, are, we are called to serve. Bless us as your children in Jesus' name. Amen.